I want you to take your Bible with me this morning and go with me because I love to study the life of the Lord Jesus. I want you to go to the book of Matthew with me to chapter number four. You know, it's not always easy to know when you're just at, with a church for one Sunday to know exactly what you ought to preach on and teach on. And after uh, time praying, even this past week in preparation and last night some more, I felt for certain this is the direction the Lord would have us to go. In Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to start. And here in the book of Matthew, we're going to read some of these early encounters <coughs> and these early conversations that the Lord Jesus had with men that would become his disciples, his followers. Now, if you've grown up in church like myself, you've heard the term disciple multiplied times, have you not? I mean, I, I'm going to really date myself. I can remember a day and age in which uh, uh, before we had uh, uh, screens with the words projected up on it, I grew up in a day of, uh, are you ready for this? The flannel graph board. Does anybody remember the flannel graph board? Yes, I feel like a dinosaur. But I mean, in the days of, of the flannel graph board, I can remember seeing pictures uh, plastered up there. If you don't know what a flannel graph board is, you have really missed out on a great teaching tool. But pictures of men that were called disciples. Um, a couple of years ago, my grandson uh, was telling me about a song that he had learned in some children's church or junior church or Sunday school or something about being a disciple. A disciple of Jesus. And the words were something like, uh, He has called us to. He has called us to. We are His disciples. I am one. Are you? He has called us to. He has called us to. We are His disciples. We His work must do. I had him sing it more than once. I said, I love those words because it's so true. And how important, I looked at my grandson, Drew, and I said, Drew, don't forget those words. And don't forget that truth. Because you want to be a disciple of Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, the term disciple means to be a student. To be a, a pupil, a learner to be a follower. And I want to read to you words here this morning that Jesus proclaimed that are very familiar to you. But I want you to see them with, uh, with a clear focus, with a brand new uh, focus upon the words that Jesus was saying and recognize that he's saying the same thing to you today. In Matthew chapter 4, follow me in verse 18 and notice what Jesus said here. It says, And Jesus... <coughs> Walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers 
of men. I've gone to missions conference, missionary conferences, and you have as well. And you've heard preachers teach on this verse, and they've said, they've proclaimed this verse. Sometimes I've seen a banner hanging over the choir loft that says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Great verse, great verse. And the whole emphasis is upon that part of fisher of men. We need to learn how to be a, a soul winner and telling others about Jesus. And I love that. That's a great truth. But don't miss the first two words that Jesus said. Amen. Follow me. Just come be with me. Be near to. Follow me. And it says in the very next verse, verse 20, and they straight, <laughs> straightway <coughs> left their nets and followed him. Keep reading. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Now, friends, I want you to understand something, that when Jesus said, follow me, these men, these four men, Simon called Peter, his brother Andrew, James and John, they knew what he was saying. He was not saying, have you got a couple of hours free? Guys, let's go get a meal together. I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to spend the afternoon here with you. Hey, have you got a weekend free that we can take some time to get? No, when Jesus said, follow me, he was saying, leave the fishing business behind, lock in with me, and be all in as a follower of mine. He was saying, I want you to be with me. Follow me. Turn over to chapter 9. Matthew, who wrote this book, is going to write in what we call the third person. He's going to talk about himself. He says in chapter 9 and in verse 9, and as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. That means he was a tax collector. He was a high-ranking tax collector at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. This was a dramatic thing that took place. Matthew was a money-making machine. Matthew had given himself, as a Jewish man, he had given himself over to the Roman Empire to make the Jews pay taxes that were much higher than what they should have had to pay. He was at Capernaum, which was at the ideal spot for a tax collector to sit, because it was at the crossroads of two main highways, one that ran from north <coughs> to south, from uh, uh, Assyria all the way down to Egypt, and from uh, uh, east and west, he sat at the corner there in Capernaum, and even at the Sea of Galilee, people coming in off of that body of water, he could tax them for how much their fish weighed and uh, how much they brought in. And as carts passed by, he could charge them so much, and he kept so much for himself. He was despised. He was hated by the Jewish people. He was not allowed to go into the synagogue at all. In fact, did you know that the rabbis actually taught that it was okay, it was legal to lie 
to a tax collector. To lie. It's okay. God will overlook it because he's a tax collector. He was deeply hated and despised. He worked for the government. Aren't you glad that a lot of things have changed through the years that government officials are people that we can greatly trust? And Jesus walks over to this man. You talk about, you talk about, you talk about a sovereign work of God. Jesus looked at that man that everybody hated and he said, follow me. And it says, and he immediately gets up and he starts following him. I love it. This is Matthew's conversion. And he follows him. Now go to chapter 10. It says in verse 1, and when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, verse 16, <clears throat> he says, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. Now down to verse 24. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in the light. And what you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. We'll stop right there. Jesus called these men to be his followers, his disciples. I'm going to tell you something as candidly and as graciously as I can this morning. I want to say to you that we have across the country, across the globe actually, we have a lot of people who attend church. We have a lot of people who attend good, solid churches. We have a lot of people who would say immediately, I love the Lord, and they mean it sincerely, and they do. We have people who give to their uh, local church to help the church continue to function sincerely, and they give it like they should. And, we, and, and there's a lot of good people who are church members, a lot of people who are church attenders. But I say this again, kindly and graciously. We have very few disciples. Disciples of Jesus. Because you see, when Jesus was saying, follow me, he was saying, I need you to be all in. From head to toe. I want you to give me everything you've got. Now, now, I'm not saying to you this morning that the only way to be a disciple is to leave your business and to leave your home and, and to go to a foreign country or to start doing something along that line. I'm not saying that. I don't believe that's what the Bible's teaching. But there's no question that there is a teaching, a principle here about being all in. Now, you know what it means to be all in. 
You've been all in for something in your lifetime. A, a businessman is, is all in with his business. I mean, he, if he's getting the business off the ground, he gives it everything he's got. He, he's devoted to it. He's, he's doing everything he can to get it to function. Uh, a lady is devoted to maybe uh, uh, keeping her house in order. And, and she, she can see dust where no man will ever see dust. And, and certainly no kid will ever see it. And, uh, and, and, and a person is devoted to their garden. I mean, they see every little weed. And I mean, they, they are completely locked in to make that garden be what it needs to be. Uh, you're devoted to your favorite ball team, are you not? I mean, you're a Houston Texan fan. Yes, all right, it's a new year. And after the first or second game, wait till next year. You know, and hey, you know, and I live in Dallas, so I know the feeling well. And so the truth is, uh, we, you know, we get devoted to your favorite ball teams. And, and uh, people, people are fanatics for their favorite team. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, there are people that are devoted, that are, are committed to a particular cause, a political cause. And they'll stand on street corners and they'll hold up banners and signs and hand out agenda sheets and try to say to people, vote for my candidate. They are devoted to that cause and to that person. I get it. Now again, I grew up in Texas, and most of you understand this world. When you grow up in Texas, you grow up with a love for Football. It's just a part of the framework. I mean, when you're born in, that, in our state, uh, when you're born, they just hand you a football. I mean, it's just the kind of the way it is. And uh, I, I don't know what they do with a girl. Pom-poms. I mean, I'm not real sure what they do, but they, I mean, we were handed a football, and they said, you will play football. Now, I grew up at a, I, grew up at a, I think, a, a bad time. I mean, I mean a, a wrong time. Coaches today are... are seemingly more understanding and more uh, psychological and psychoanalyze uh, their players and they're more of an encourager and, and say it's okay everybody's going to get a trophy it's all right uh, we're, we're all going to come out I grew up in the day in which our coaches all went to the school of Adolf Hitler I mean I I mean they they demanded of us things that we could not give and they'd say fellas give me all you got and they, they make resounding statements like this. When the, when the going gets tough, <coughs> the tough get going. Well, that's a brilliant statement, isn't it? I mean, that's just, that just makes you want to go, you know, rip somebody's head off, you know? In, in, in Christian love, you just want to tackle them <laughs> with great force, you know? And you'd play in this humidity, in this heat. You'd stand at one end of the football field and down there you're stretching out and you're getting exercise and limbered up for the game and you look down at the other end of the ball field. You can't even see the goal post because of the heat waves coming up off the ground. And you're saying, I love this. That doesn't even make sense. You know, I mean, you're, you're covered with all this equipment on. But we were all in. There are people across the globe that are so all in with their radical cause they'll strap on a suicide vest and allow themselves to be vape, evaporated, blown to bits, a suicide vest in order to kill people that they consider to be their enemies. They're all in. They're disciples of their particular cause. When Jesus calls you and me to be his followers, He's saying, I want you to be all in. You know what it means to be all in. You've seen it. You've lived it. 
Well, what's, what's he telling us here? Can I just say to you, Jesus does not put small print in the contract. He doesn't say, follow me. And once he gets you signed up, it's as if he says, okay, now that I've got you on my side, now I'm going to tell you how hard it's going to be. I'm going to tell you what I demand of you. Let me tell you what's going to be expected of you. No, Jesus doesn't talk to us that way. He's, he, is, he is a loving, patient, as we heard sung, gracious son of God. But may I say to you this morning, he does tell you right up front what it means to be his followers. What, what, what does he say? Well, it's right here in our passage that we have in front of us here in Matthew chapter 10. And I want you to see it. I'm just going to be the delivery boy this morning. I'm going to just remind us all of what it really means to be his disciple, to be his follower. Now, before I go any further, let me say this to you away from this main text. However, it's inferred. And that is, before you can be all in, you've got to be in. He said to Matthew, follow me. He was, it was Matthew's day of conversion. And before you can be someone who's all in as a follower of Jesus, you've got to take that first step. And that first step is this. I am going to be converted to Jesus Christ. I am in Christ. Look, did you know that the early followers of Jesus were not called Christians? We call each other Christians now. In fact, a lot of things get called Christian that are not Christian. But... Uh, in the, in the early pages of Scripture, they were called disciples. If you are a Christian, you were called a disciple. I mean, the Bible is, is covered with that. Uh, I mean, the Bible simply says in the book of Acts that, that the number of the disciples was multiplied daily. It says in Acts 6, 7, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem. It says Saul breathing out slaughter against the disciples. In Acts 9, it says the disciples took Paul out by night and he was lowered in a basket. Acts eleven twenty six, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Before we were called Christians, we were called disciples. Now, I'm going to tell you something. As I'm talking about this whole subject matter about being in Christ, you've got to understand this subject thing of being a disciple starts with becoming a Christian. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to them. The word condemnation is a word that means judgment. There is therefore now no judgment, no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. You see, a person is either in Christ or outside of Christ. And when you and I were born in this world, we were born outside of Christ. John said in his... Uh, his first epistle, 1 John uh, uh, chapter 5, he said, and these, this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Paul said, uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Has there been a time in your life, friend, in which you recognized, I am outside of Jesus Christ. I do not have Jesus in my life. I'm not talking about just a head knowledge, but you say, I, I, I have not stepped into a relationship with God by way of Jesus Christ. You say, Morris, I know I've done that. I don't remember the exact date. Oh, I'm not asking you for the date. I couldn't tell you the exact date in which I did either. But I can remember the day in my life in which I recognized 
I'm not going to heaven. I know about God. I've heard about God. I've sung about God. I've heard about Jesus. I've sung about Jesus. I've heard people talk about Jesus. But he's not become my personal Savior. Has there been a time in your life when you said, I not only want to know about him, I want him in my life. And you accepted Jesus. You embraced the fact that he died for you. You see, friends, all of us need to be saved. Every one of us need to be rescued by Jesus Christ and Him alone. And everyone can be rescued. If there is a tug on your heart this morning about this matter of your sins being forgiven, to know about the, what we sing about, the grace of God, if there is a tug on your heart even now this morning to know more about this, you're in a room full of friends. We'd love to introduce to you the greatest friend you could ever have in your whole life. He is the one you've been looking for. Everything that you've ever wanted in life is found in Jesus Christ. That is not preacher hype. That is not preacher talk. It's the truth. You see, friends, you may live to be a hundred on this earth, but you're going to live somewhere forever. And I'm going to tell you something. If you really want to learn how to live on this earth, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. It was Jesus who said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly, everything that people are looking for in a liquor bottle and, a, and, and, the, and the gain of money and everything that people are looking for in popularity and everything that people are looking for in all the, 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 the gadgets and the gimmicks of, of this world that, and the lures of this world that hang out there. Everything that they're looking for is found in Jesus Christ. You'll never find the satisfaction in life that you'll find in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. So as I preach on being all in with Jesus, answer this question. Are you first of all in Christ? If not, let us introduce him to you today. But now in Matthew chapter 10, would you look in verse 24? It says here, Jesus is the one, he's our teacher. He says there in verse 24, the disciple is. All right, you can stop right there. All right, we're, we're about to go to class with Jesus. He says, fellas, you're going to be my followers. Now let me tell you what's involved with that. The disciple is not above his master. That word master means master teacher. Nor is the servant above his Lord. Now a little word understanding there. The word master again means a master teacher. And the word Lord there means uh, uh, like an employer. One who has an employee working under him, the servant working for him. And so he says here, if you're going to be my disciple, understand you're not above the master teacher. Okay, what's Jesus saying here? He's saying there is going to be a submissiveness. You're going to be, an, you're going to be underneath your master teacher. You see, friends, Jesus was not the only one who had a class of followers. Their schools in those days were, were people, I mean, uh, Aristotle and Plato and those guys had already been on the scene prior to this time. And so there had always been these master teachers that had their classes and so forth teaching them. Well, it was no different in Jesus' day. There were people following around with the rabbis and the religious leaders of that day. And so you'd see them out in some particular areas sitting underneath the shade of a tree or, or sitting out by the, the Sea of Galilee. And he'd be teaching. Uh, he'd be teaching them. 
And Jesus, as he was speaking to them, and he says, now look, if you're going to be my disciple, understand something. You're not above your master teacher. Now, this is not Jesus trying to say, I'm more important than you. No, it's not what he was saying. He was teaching a submissiveness and a teachableness on the part of the class. Okay. He was saying this, if you're going to be my follower, if you're going to be all in with me, you got to be number one, you got to be submissively teachable. In anybody who's ever taught a class, any preacher who's ever preached a sermon, any mother who's ever had homeschooling going on in, under her care will always be able to tell you, I can spot the students in my classroom who are locked in listening to what's being given. I mean, they're there, you can almost see them leaning in, trying to grasp the truth, asking a question. Do you mean this, teacher? I mean, they're in, they're into it. There, there is a submissiveness and a teachableness to that student. Have you not attended classes like that? Uh, most of the time we attended classes like we were going, you know, how much longer we got to sit here and listen to the parts of speech, you know, you know, uh, you know what happened in 1742, I don't really care, you know, and you're sitting there saying, when will this class be over with? But we can always remember those teachers and those classes in which it seemed like the, the, the class, the, the class hour went way too fast. It was like, I, I need more of this. I, I want, teacher, oh, is that the bell already? I don't want to cleave. I want to glean more truth. Jesus said, if you're going to be all in with me, there's going to be a leaning in. There's going to be a longing to hear the teaching that I'm here to give. There's going to be an eagerness. I say this carefully. I try to say it as kindly as I can. There's a lot of Christians who've been to church for so many years, but they've stopped being teachable. I mean, what more could a pastor say? What more could a preacher preach? What more could a teacher teach that they've not already heard before? I get it. I could have said, take your Bible and turn to Habakkuk, and you would have gone, I'm here. You know your way around the Bible, and that's a wonderful, good thing. But after a while, a person can say, what more could a preacher preach on that I've not already heard thousands of times? Do you remember when you first came to Christ? And there was a thirst and a hunger, and there was a longing. You could almost sense yourself leaning forward at everything that the preacher was preaching, and when he got through preaching, you said, really? It's already time to go? I've seen new converts come to church. They're usually some of the first ones at church, some of the last ones to leave. They come up to pastor and they say, Pastor, I, I got, I, I've been reading my Bible this week and I got a few questions. They pull out about 17 pages of, of, of questions. You know, they want to, have you got a couple of minutes, Pastor? The pastor knows, oh boy, this is going to be an hour and a half, but he loves it. Why? Because that person is hungry. You remember those days? The fact is, a disciple is someone who's all in, saying, there's so much more for me to learn. What is it the Lord's trying to say to me here? Here's what Pastor James said. You remember James, don't you? The first epistle that was written in our New Testament, even though it's in the back part of the New Testament, it was the first one written in the, in the chronological way. 
He said there are those who come to the Word of God. As they come to the Word of God, uh, they, they, he said they look into the perfect law of liberty and they continue therein. That was his way of saying they lean into the Word of God. But he also said there are some who straightway, immediately, when they look at the mirror of God's Word, they immediately forget what manner of man they were. They read the Bible, they hear the Bible, they put it down and they go on and face the day. I've said this for years. It's the difference between a teenage guy and a teenage girl. A teenage guy gets up in the morning, he's got one thing in mind. Food. You know, he's got to think about food. It's been a good seven or eight hours since he ate. And I mean, he's starving to death, you know. And he goes, he goes into the kitchen. He's looking for Cap'n Crunch. He's looking for six eggs and half of a hog. And, and he's, 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 he's hungry. And he looks up at the clock and he goes, well, I got to get ready for school. Oh, and he goes over to the restroom, he looks at himself, and he goes, yeah, I think I'm fine. And he takes off and he faces the day, you know. Picks the scrambled eggs out of his teeth and faces the day, you know. You ever seen a teenager like that? Don't look at anybody and say, he, he's talking about you, man. But a teenage girl? Now, a teenage girl may be hungry when she wakes up in the morning, but she's thinking only of one thing damage control, you know, of a night's sleep. And she goes to the restroom and she goes, no, no. And, and things begin to get plugged into the room. And, and, you know, there's about 14 plugs that are uh, items being plugged in and machines and <laughs> things get cranked up in that room. And she works on herself. And about an hour and a half later, she comes out and she says, okay, I'm ready to face the day. You just got to take me as I am, you know. And, that's the difference between some people, they come to the Word of God and they go, yeah, I'm fine. <coughs> Versus those who say, there's so much I need to work on. There's so many things that God's talking to me about I need to learn. There's so much more that I need to say about this one verse alone. But Jesus said, he, he is not above his master teacher. He's talking about submitting your mind. And don't miss this. He's talking about submitting your mind to your teacher, listening to the words, gleaning from the words that he's sharing with you. Have you ever dug into the Word of God to say, there's more for this, for me to learn from this verse? And then he speaks about the servant who's not above his master. That is an employer talking to his employee. There's not only the submissiveness of your mind, there is the submissiveness of your will, your body. You not only learn truth for your brain. It starts with that. Things that you know. But it affects the walk and the steps of your life and the activity of your life. There is, what would you have me to do? What would, where would you have me to go? What is it you, you're in charge of my life. I'm all in. I'm all in with you. A disciple is number one, submissively teachable. Number two, look at verse 25. He says, it is enough for the disciple, that he be as his master. We can stop right there. The words as his master means to be just like his master. The words before that, it is enough for the disciple that he be. That if you really want to know the technical truth of what he was saying there, he was saying that he is becoming as his master, that there is an undergoing of a change. You remember your eighth grade science class? 
you learned about metamorphosis or something is being altered and changed that 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 caterpillar being metamorphosized into a beautiful butterfly he says here it is enough for the disciple that he is being transformed into being like his master so what, what do we see here if you're all in with Jesus number one you are submissively teachable and secondly you will become visibly transfigured. People will see Jesus in you. I don't know about you, but that you talk about a, a challenge. You talk about you talk about an entire life's journey of becoming more and more like the Savior. He says, if you're going to be all in with me, here's your goal. Be like me. Jesus is saying, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant be as his Lord. Would anybody look at you, ma'am, and say, your life, <coughs> your life challenges me. You, you remind me of the Lord Jesus. Sir, would anybody look at you and say, you, you draw me to the Savior. And people are known for their humor. People are known for their good business sense. People are known for their good cooking skills. People are known for any number of things, all of which are usually good. But would anybody ever say, you draw me to the Lord. You make me want to be more like you. Hey, did you have a child go digging around in the closet. Some boy slapped on his boy, his daddy's shoes or boots and comes walking outside in his daddy's shoes. What's he doing? He wants to be like daddy. A little girl goes and grabs with mom not knowing, gets into all the makeup. She's got lipstick all over and got some necklace around her neck that drags on the floor, you know. She wants to be like her mom. Or you ever watched a TV commercial of some, some exercise, some, uh, some guy doing some exercise on some machine? You know, his muscles are just ripped on him, you know, and he's just, he's just so muscular. And he, he's standing up there on this machine. I mean, he's just very, he would look a lot like, just a very muscle, muscle man, just look, look a lot like. Okay, and he would just look like a, <laughs> please come back tonight, would you? I'm just joking. And you go, I got to buy that machine, man. I want that machine. And you spend the money and you say, because they, they promise you just three times a week, 15 minutes a day, three times a week, you too will look like this man. You go, I want to look just like that man. And so you buy it and you, you use it all oh, once, twice, maybe even three times. Then it becomes something for you to hang your coat on and to dry clothes on and, and to collect dust over in the corner of the garage somewhere. You got talked into saying, I want to look like that guy on TV. A child says, I want to be like dad. I want to be like mom. Jesus says, if you're going to be all in with me, I'm your goal. I'm the one you want to be like. React to things like I would. Speak like I would. Conduct your life as I would. Let me be your constant companion. The Bible says... <coughs> In Romans 8 and verse 28, you know the verse, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. 
for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. We're to be conformed more and more daily into the image of Jesus Christ. Robert Murray McShane used to say this, or he said it once to a friend. He said, it is not great talents that God blesses as much as great likeness to Jesus. Did you hear that? It is not great talents that God blesses as much as great likeness to Jesus. So let me ask you, friends. Do people see Jesus in you? Do people see Jesus in the way in which you conduct your life? And I stand rebuked. I want to be all in as a follower of Jesus. And Jesus says, you're going to follow me. I'm your goal. That's what he said. I need to be submissively teachable, leaning into the Word to learn and to listen to glean so that I can obey and do what He wants me to do. I need to be visibly transfigured. Look at verse 25 again. He says, It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? May I simply say the term Beelzebub was the harshest term you could call anybody. And Jesus, Jesus was saying, if they call me, Jesus was saying, if they're going to call me this harsh term, a term that would later be referred to as the devil himself. And of course, you know Jesus was called a tool of Satan, those who hated him. He says, if they're going to be critical of me, if I'm going to be under persecution... If I'm going to be under attack, if they're going to call me names, don't think that if you're a follower of mine that you're going to get by without some persecution. Now, friends, I wish I could skip this part, but I've got to be true to the Scriptures, and that's what we've what we got in front of us. There's going to be some painful troubles in our life. Troubles that are guided in such a way to draw us closer to our Savior, to our Lord. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes you go through some painful persecution and troubles because, because the Lord is using it as a tool to draw you closer to Him and to make you more like Him. That's why it's all tied together there in verse 25. Be like me. And He says here, look, if they're going to attack me, don't think that you're going to get by without having some persecution and trouble in your own life. And he's simply saying this, if you're going to be all in, you're going to also be painfully troubled. I think sometimes we may do a disservice to the truth of being a follower of Christ if we say to somebody, come to Jesus, accept Jesus Christ, and all your burdens will be lifted. You'll never have another care of life. <laughs> that is not true. Not true at all. But I'm going to tell you something. When you're going through the hardships and the difficulties and the pains and the suffering that sometimes other people inflict upon you and sometimes that the Lord just allows into your life, can I tell you something? It will enhance your worship of God like nothing ever will. Amen. You'll find yourself saying, oh God, I love you like never before. You'll find yourself being more patient with other people because you know what it is to suffer yourself. You'll know what it is to be more forgiving. You'll know what it is to be more caring because you yourself know what it is to suffer. And Jesus was saying, if you're going to be all in with me, you're going to be also painfully troubled at times. 
And there's one more thing, and because of time, I'm going to hasten to it. Would you notice in verse 27? <coughs> he simply says, What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in the light. And what you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Let's take that last phrase. What you hear in the ear. He's talking about whispering. Whispering in the ear. He goes, that which you have heard in a quiet tone. He says, that preach ye upon the housetops. Now wait a minute. Is Jesus telling you and me, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to go climb up on people's roofs and preach or even stand up on your own roof and, and yell at people in the neighborhood? No. No. He's talking about a boldness. He's talking about an openness. He's talking about a courage. To do what? To take what He has spoken to you in quiet voices. At the very first part of verse 27, He said, What I tell you in the darkness, that speak ye in the light. When He says the darkness, He's talking about those quiet private times when I've spoken to you at church, when I've talked to you in your own quiet time in the Word of God, what I've told you in those quiet places like a Sunday school classroom, when I've told you things that I've spoken to you directly about. He goes, you take those things and you go tell it to others in places to be bold and to be courageous. Friends, can I tell you something? When you're all in for Jesus, you're not in the secret service. You're not in the witness protection program. Hoping that nobody finds you. You're not, you're not in some kind of a situation in which, which uh, <clears throat> nobody at work and nobody at school and nobody in the family knows that you're really a follower of Jesus. You're not a secret agent. You're somebody who is genuinely out front. I don't mean by that. And Jesus is not saying that there's a rudeness. Jesus was never rude. Jesus was never abrasive. Jesus was never abusive. He was never a bully. But he was up front. And he says, if you're going to be all in for me, there's going to be a confident courage, speaking out, testifying, witnessing, telling others what I have shown to you. You're going to tell others how I've changed your life. So when you're all in, you're going to be fearlessly testifying. And I stand rebuked again. For opportunities that are afforded to us on a regular basis to tell others about our Savior. And yet we don't speak about Him because we're afraid what someone may think. We don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to embarrass them. <coughs> True disciples are not ashamed to speak for their Lord. They sing out, oh, it's easy to do it when you come to church. It's sometimes difficult when you're somewhere outside these walls. And Jesus says, if you're going to be all in with me, you're going to be fearless in your testifying what I've shared and told you. Remember when Paul wrote his friend Timothy? He said to Timothy, he said, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see what I'm saying? We've got a lot of church people. We've got a lot of people who attend churches read their Bible, sing and pray. So infrequent, very rarely are we genuinely disciples of Jesus Christ. All in. 
I was attending a baseball game of some of my buddies playing baseball years ago as a teenager. When I was sitting up in the bleachers watching my buddies play, and I was sitting with some other friends as we were sitting there, <clears throat> just, just teenagers. I was probably 16. And everything was fine until somebody said something that was a little bit inappropriate. I don't, I don't remember what it was, but it was, it was uncomfortable. And there was some kind of a subdued giggling on the part of people sitting around, all the guys. There were a couple of girls, two or three girls sitting off to the right. I was embarrassed because they were hearing it. I felt inadequate. I felt inappropriate. I felt like I was in the wrong place. And it continued a little bit to the point that finally I, I, was, I was not I was not some great follower of the Lord at the time. I just knew that this was not making me comfortable. Finally, I just simply said, fellas, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home. I jumped off the back end of the, of the bleachers and started walking home. And as I started walking home, I started telling the Lord. I started praying. I said, God, that made me uncomfortable. The conversation back there at that ball field, and I was pointing as I was walking, I said, that made me uncomfortable. <coughs> I said, God, I don't want to be a part of that. And I said, Lord, there's got to be a better way to live than that. And I don't know what it is, but there's got to, I don't want to live that way the rest of my life. I don't want to talk like that. I don't want to laugh at stuff like that. I don't want to be around it. When I got to my house, I got on my, I got in the house, the house was empty. I grabbed my Bible and I began to read. I read in the Psalms. <clears throat> Not because I normally read in the Bible during the week. I just felt like I needed to. I needed to get clean. I started reading. And as I would read, I would find things that I felt like I needed to have in my life. And I'd point to it and I'd say, Lord, that's what I want. <clears throat> what he's saying, that's what I'm saying. And then I got on my face on the floor. I put the Bible on the floor. I put my hands on my Bible. And I said, God, I don't really know what I'm asking. But I don't want to live the way I... I don't want to live with, with guys like that. I don't want to talk like, like that anymore. I said, God, I want you to change me. Make me different. And I said, as best I know how, I give you all of me. I didn't realize it, but I was signing up for discipleship. You say, well, aren't you something, Glycer? Have you ever gotten away from all that commitment? <laughs> Countless times, man. I don't know how many times I've gotten away from it. So you know what I've had to go back and do? I've had to go back and re-enlist and say, I'm signing up to be a disciple again. I'm sorry I drifted. I want to be all in with you. When Jesus said to those men, follow me, 
He was saying it to me and you too. And he was saying, be submissively teachable. Lean in and get the teaching. He was saying, be visibly transfigured. Let Christ be seen in your life. Expect to be painfully troubled. But then be fearlessly testifying what I've told you. Do you need to tell him this morning? Lord, I'm re-enlisting. I want to be all in with you.